Well, yeah, it's only a week after, or less than a week after Christmas, so we can keep the Christmas season going. It is the 12 days of Christmas, right? Is that exactly how long you celebrate Christmas? Yeah, it's like where the song comes from, too. It's Well, so, so what it has been historically within the Christian church is Christmas Day to January 6th, which is called Epiphany. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's so the, an epiphany for me. It is an epiphany. <laughs> an epiphany for everyone else. Growing up, my mom would insist, and it's gotten in my blood too, you do not take the Christmas decorations down before epiphany. <laughs> like my brother, it's like the day after Christmas, everything is back in boxes. He's boom, he's done, you know? I'm done. <laughs> but my mom, it was, no, you're solid through epiphany. Wow. It's Christmas season. So what are the 12 days of Christmas? Like you in know the song? All? Well, I mean... Well, yeah, you can go through the song. <laughs> well, no, it's it, it, it's it's not like the song where every day is themed in some specific way. So there's no, no partridge in a pear tree. However, in the midst of the twelve days of Christmas, you do get the little celebrated holiday called the circumcision of our Lord. <laughs> Let me guess: is that on the eighth day? Ah, uh, how would you guess that? Huh? You got it. You got it. Yeah, because I know because that's when I had Zach circumcised. On, on that exact day, the circumcision of our Lord Day or the eighth day the or eighth what? Day. Did you really? Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure it was only huh. only because, well, because Zach was a home birth, my son Zach. Yeah. And and that's because you believe in witchcraft, right? <laughs> no, my wife did. No, <laughs> no it was actually kind of cool. Because no, that's a gutsy move, dude. It, it, it I mean, I, I've known some other people who've done home birth, but I've got to ask some basic questions to you about this. Like, how do you oh. even prepare for that or... It was like, awesome. I mean, because we had the whole family around, and when she gave birth, it's like wait, 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 wait. wait. When you say you had the whole family around, you gotta. Well, they weren't like just, not around the bed. <laughs> how they long was nice. how long was Julian labor? Um, you know, it wasn't too long. I think when her water broke, it was sometime in the afternoon. She called me up for my office, and uh, we had a you know a doctor. It wasn't like we did it on our own. She had a um, not a midwife. What are they? A doula. Yeah, she came over right away. Uh, the doctor was down in, I don't know, way down in the south side. He was going to be like an hour and a half. And this is our third kid. So Julie was. Yeah, you're pro. Right. Yeah. She, she's ready to go. So we had family there. Julie's mom was there. I think my, my mom was there. She brought a friend, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, after, after the birth, I mean, it was actually really cool because, you know, we had candles. It was just it was a beautiful environment. It, it was, we yeah, were in a sure. bedroom and so sure. it was real comfortable. So just in your bed or yeah, like they bring just, a table in no, or how do you just do right, the right, tub or right in our bed. So like, and okay. I mean, I, I just got to ask, I mean, you got to be laying down plastic well, yeah. on everything. I mean, <laughs> I just, yeah, I'm trying to think through it's, this. It's not an afterthought. Know? It's not like, Oh, maybe we should change the seats. <laughs> No, the the the, be, the best thing though. Okay, so like, that's why you never buy a bed from Salvation <laughs> Army, right there. You know, that's an awkward looking stain. <laughs> oh, so no, the best part of the story though is, um, so Julie's actively in labor, trying not to birth before the doctor gets there. <laughs> sure, so sure. The doula has her actually go into the bathroom to sit on the toilet for some reason, re- relieving the pressure or something. Huh, okay, so her in there, and you know, there's people milling about and. We had all like dozens and dozens of candles that were set up that were sent by friends. They were like candles of blessing, you know, so all throughout mm-hmm. the bathroom. And our bathroom is structured where you'd walk in, there was a large tub and a shower, and around the corner would be where the toilet was. And it's all okay. Little. So we're sitting in there and kind of talking, talking, talking. And I was in the, in the bathroom area with, with Julie, and all of a sudden it gets really, really quiet. Hmm. And we smell something burning. 
No. <laughs> Julie's like starts freaking out like, um, what's burning? And in her mind, it's like racing. Everybody's just left the house. It's burning down and I'm stuck here on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> About to give birth. Yeah, and right, right. She's like, what's burning? Yeah. What was burning? And all of a sudden you hear this little voice go, um, the cat? <laughs> no. <laughs> what happened? What he's have this really kind of tiny cat, but it was all fluff. I mean, yeah. just, if it was yeah. wet, it was just a skinny little thing, but it's this big puffy cat. She jumped up onto the counter where the candles were and got too close and just oh. went, oh. <laughs> so like, did, I mean, did she get hurt? No, she was fine. It just okay, but just all yeah. the hair off and she, yeah. she took off and it was fine. Oh my gosh. Isn't that hilarious? Oh my gosh. Uh, good stories. Good stories. No doubt. Had. But uh, we also didn't know that, well, we had been told by the doctors, everyone, she had her ultrasounds and things that uh, we were having a girl. So, oh, really? So, Got which that was one interesting wrong. because we didn't have a girl name picked out or anything. Yeah. yeah. And we knew Zachariah is what we wanted when it was going to be a boy. But so up until when Zach was born, we're like, oh. We're having another girl. Our third, you almost our have third to girl. meet her before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're going to be our third girl. So he comes out. He's born. And the first thing that runs through my mind is, oh, my gosh, my daughter has a penis. Welcome to Christmas Part 2, everyone. My name is Mark Chaffee. This is Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. Go to our website, Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask Church. <laughs> oh, we're having too much fun. Anyway, go to the website, submit your questions. We thought we'd hit some more Christmas stuff, uh, just like we did last week, because there are a lot of things we can get into about the history, about the architecture of Christmas, things that maybe aren't directly involved with the story itself. <laughs> so with me, as always is David Gadini. Hey, I'm passing, everyone. I'm passing all that, you know, stuff yeah, that you, you are, laugh, you are. People know about, right, about right, yeah. But I still love you. Thank more, you, Mark. More than green eggs and ham. Oh, thank you. And you know how much I love green eggs and ham. Very much, yeah. I do. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about today's episode? So we are doing our post-Christmas episode. For a lot of people, the Christmas season ends December 25th. But in the history of the church, there is a season actually in the church calendar called the Christmas season. It's 12 days long. It goes from December 25th when it begins up until Epiphany, which is on January 6th. And the traditional way of celebrating the holiday would be to have the, the feast and the festivities, not in December, which was Advent, but to have them during these 12 days days instead. Our last episode, we talked a lot about the Christmas story in the Bible itself. What were the events? What happened at the, the, the coming in the time of Jesus' birth? But what we thought we would do today is pick up with some of the other Christian tra uh, Christmas traditions that people celebrate and unpack some of the meaning of those and, uh, and other questions as well. I love it. Shall we do it? Let's do it. All right. So why don't we go ahead and just pick up with uh, pre-Christmas, I guess. We have the season called Advent that enters us into Christmas. Would that be a good place to start? Yeah, I think so. It, so if you look at a Christian calendar, and maybe I even need to start there by yeah, backing it up yeah. more, a lot of people might not realize, but the Christian church operates on its own calendar. And it is a 365-day a year calendar, but the church year does not start January 1st. It actually starts with Advent. 
And so this season called Advent, which is about four weeks that precede Christmas, was set aside by by people historically in the church originally as an as a mini Lent. The word and what is Lent? Well, so Lent is the six week season, the forty day se- uh, season that precedes Easter. And Lent is historically that time when people think of it as a time of mourning, a time of fasting, a time of right. repentance and self-reflection, self-mortification, you know, all those kinds of things. People give up stuff for Lent right. in the spirit. And, you know, you listen to like Lent songs. There's there's no, <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're depressing. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're huge. On, on the, when you listen to Lent radio, they always start too early. <laughs> It's it's creeping back to Epiphany now, you know. It's just the, the lens shopping season has gone wild, and no, but you know, it's like even in the historic church, you, you liturgically practicing Christians won't even use the word Hallelujah in Lent because mm. it's viewed too joyful. Wow. You know, you don't praise in Lent; you lament yeah. in Lent. Actually, I think it's something the contemporary church could learn from. So much of our contemporary worship and liturgy is so joy-based. It is so positively based that I think we've forgotten how to lament. I just thought of something. Hmm. If you take the amen out of lament, you get lent. Ooh. Is that right? I'm trying to... How do you spell it? L-A-M-E-N-T. No, you got oh, L-T. Almost. You got the M. You got L- yeah, you got lent. So you take the ama. If you take the Amy out of... Yeah. Uh, it's cool. It was close. It's cool. There, there's some word art there that can yeah. be played with. Yeah. That was a very abusive and abruptive <laughs> tangent. I'm sorry. You were saying... I don't even remember, man. <laughs> well, for some reason, we, we were we talking hit the about... Point, you landed the plane we on it. Talking it was about, good. Yeah, talking about Lent for Christmas. Yeah. But let's go back to... So let's go back to Advent. Let's you go said back it was to Advent. A, a mini Lent. A mini Lent. The word Advent comes from the Latin Adventus. And it means something like, you know, the arrival or the coming or the presence of. And you could see the logic of it. There's the arrival of Jesus' birth. So just in the way that you could think of preparing for the coming of the king mm-hmm. when Jesus was born, what what Advent has come to do is, is a double duty of not just reminding us that Jesus came, but that Jesus is coming again. And of course, when Jesus comes again, he's coming to judge the living and the dead and set all wrongs right and restore creation and and do what a good judge should do. Mm-hmm. You know, judge is a bad word to us. Right. Um, and certainly it will carry negative connotations as, as well, but nonetheless, he's coming to judge. Mm-hmm. And so it's a time to examine ourselves for his coming. Do we live as though we expect Jesus to come again? Do we actually live as though we believe we are going to stand before the judgment seat of God and that he is going to give right judgment on our life, our works, our attitudes right. and and what we've done with what he's entrusted us with. Yeah. And so Advent becomes a very intentional way of saying, let's not forget this. It, it's easy to forget. It's been 2000 years. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, you just kind of get on with it. Yeah. No, live in such a way that you expect his impending return. And whether he's short in coming or a long time in coming, he is going to return. So don't let it catch you. You know, don't let it catch you unaware. So, he, it, so Advent isn't necessary. It sounds like you're saying we're not necessarily looking forward to his birth. We're looking forward to his second coming. His second coming. And so it, it, there's a logic of tying into his birth. Yeah. He came once, he came again. Mm-hmm. But then why are we looking forward to his birth? It, it, it isn't a countdown to the birthday. Right. 
even though I think it functions mistaken. like that. Right. I think most people think it is. Right. Right. And instead, it's a time to go, how do I get right with God? How do I examine myself, repent of my sins? Um, often that will include both what's called self-mortification, if I can use a big churchy word, which sounds awful. Sounds gross. But it just kind of means, you know, if, if, if I'm regretting something, sorry for something and repenting of something, that'll often be accompanied by fasting and prayer and denying myself. Mm-hmm. That, that's all it's kind of getting at. Okay. And it's funny because it's become the exact opposite of the festive season our culture celebrates today. Yeah. I mean, Christmas is the day after Thanksgiving up through Christmas Day. Oh, geez. It starts before that. I mean, you start hearing Christmas carols in July these days. <laughs> you do. But, but but think about it, even, you know, those of us who are Christians, yeah. we, we have so many of our Christmas celebrations and Christmas parties right. during December, mm-hmm. not after. Because right. after feels like the party's over, go home. Well, and it's probably right? the, the biggest day of the year when folks start putting up the Christmas tree and their Christmas lights and Christmas decorations yeah. is Thanksgiving weekend. All the mirth, all the delight, <laughs> all the joy has become pregame as opposed to post game. And there's nothing fundamentally wrong with this. Mm-hmm. There's no thus saith the Lord. Thou must have a season of Advent and do it in thus way. But we do lose something sometimes when we miss out on what early church, early Christians picked up on and built into an intentional rhythm and routine of life. Yeah. And it seems to fit, too, because with the start of Advent, we're already in a season where the days are getting shorter, it's getting darker and darker, less light, Yeah. then falling into Christmas Day, which we talked about last week. Yeah, arguably the shortest day of the year, Right, and close to it. Right, and so from that point, things start getting brighter and brighter and brighter. Yeah, the king has come, right? The king will come again, and that means new hope, new dawn. Yeah. So as a mini Lent, then, Advent is meant to be that time I don't the word morning came to mind M O U R um how, how does the classic carol put it that morn and lonely exile here until yeah. the son of god appear yeah. rejoice rejoice emmanuel and ransom captive israel advent is a time to cry out to long to ache to mourn to yearn because we are in darkness we are in slavery it's so backwards from king our come culture. and save us yeah, yeah. Because it is, it's this time of, boy, it is that celebration, that, that cheer. Because I, I mean, I personally, I love the Christmas season. I love Christmas carols. I even love the secular Christmas carols. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, and I love celebrating that yeah. for an entire season. Yeah. But it is hard for me after Christmas day to keep the Christmas spirit. Yeah. And that's completely backwards right. is what you're saying. And, from... and the culture itself is fighting against you in this. To try to do what you're maybe indicating, like what would it be like to have an yeah. advent and then celebrate wildly a Christmas time. None of your friends are doing this. None of your family are doing this. The culture around you is not speaking into it that way. So it would have yeah. to be an intentionally countercultural move on your part. Absolutely. And obviously not all churches do this. Your liturgical churches will do it, but there will be Advent services during the week. Um, at Fellowship of Faith, we do them during Advent on Wednesday evenings. Right, right. Um, a lot of modern churches don't do that anymore. Might be something we can encourage folks to check out. Obviously not this year, but something to look forward to next year. Yeah, to absolutely. Prepare your hearts. And I don't think there is a conflict when you're, sure, you're celebrating, you're happy, you're joyous throughout December during your day through your family. And yeah, you love Christmas shopping and finding things for folks if you're in the right mindset. But to take those times to pause yeah, in the quiet and in the dark, if you're lucky with some candlelight in a service. Yeah, right, right. And 
proclaim that the light has come into the darkness. We know it's coming. To We're cry out. To, cry, to just basically yeah. cry out. Yes. You know, I like to think of it this way when we think of things in the church here. It's similar to what Jesus said about the Sabbath. Man is not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath is made for man. And Advent is fundamentally meant to be a tool, not a master. Right. It's not something that we have to do, that we're going to worship, that it drives us. But something... but there is a powerful practice there that early believers, believers who have gone on before us, have stumbled into or, or developed that we can certainly draw uh, immense wealth and mm-hmm. insight and reflection from. And what are some of those points you think the early church fathers had put into Advent that were meant for us, that we're going to be powerful and to draw us in? And again, just for clarification... When we talk early church, we're using this very broadly. We talked in the last episode that you don't really even see the season of Christmas until the fourth century. Mm-hmm. So medieval might be the better oh, way okay. right. of, of putting it. But, you know, we're using the term early church broadly to mean basically anyone like <laughs> before, before our lifetime, you know, <laughs> before my mom's church, you know. Yeah, right. You got it. You got it before any. Yeah, <laughs> we'll leave it at that. But to what we've just been alluding at earlier, I mean, there there isn't one specific set of adopted practices that you're going to see at all times and in all places, mm-hmm. but it really has reflected around um, repentance and, and, and yearning and aching and hoping and crying out. There, there's almost more of a denial practice that I've seen than a an intentional practice, meaning churches wouldn't say hallelujah. I, I remember I grew up in liturgical churches and, you know, you didn't sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing or Joy to the World during Advent. It was almost considered like it was this unwritten anathema that right. somehow you're violating too joyful. something. And, you know, and I think of what we do at Fellowship of Faith where, you know, we have bluegrass Christmas <laughs> with Joy to the World. You know, I yeah. mean, you can't make it more joyful than with bluegrass. <laughs> right. um, so, so it's some of those types of things. You know, there, there's other practices that you'll see churches do in Advent, like the Advent wreath, mm-hmm. which is nothing more than a, 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 a it's a timer. Right. You know, you're counting down the weeks, one candle, two candles, three candles, four candles, leading up to something in just a visual kind of reminiscent way. We used to have those cheesy advent calendars with the chocolates in it. Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) They're like all stale. It's like 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And you open one a day as a calendar. But you get excited. Who gets to open it today? It's like, oh, that's kind of weird. But But you know, it's it's more built into the liturgy that the readings, the prayers, things like that that are chosen are a lot of these messianic prophecies and passages that look forward to the coming of the kingdom of God and the new creation that's mm-hmm. going to come in him, the heralds who go forward in his name and both the struggles that they face, but also the joy and the message that they're bringing, um, stuff like that. You said it's tied to the church calendar. So is Advent itself, is there a pace to it? Is there a general traditional structure for each of the weeks leading up to Advent or each of the day, I'm sorry, leading up to Christmas, each of the days, is there a flow to it, or is it just kind of a random, hey, here's some liturgical stuff, whenever you want to Traditional do it. churches, the, the ancient church, if I can use yeah. that again broadly, would operate with something called a lectionary. And like you can hear like, you know, lectern in lectern, there. The right. you know, lectionary means the readings. Okay. Meaning what they did is they looked at the, the year, the calendar year, and they assigned readings, Bible readings, mm-hmm. Old Testament and New Testament and Psalms to each Sunday and the readings aren't random. There's a certain trajectory or, or logic about them um, of, of building up to certain events. So the lectionary readings in Advent 
have a trajectory and, and they're pretty universally used by churches. There's variation, but sure. By and far. Yeah. They're very common in theme or, or very similar in use. Still use. And by still used high, by high many. churches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Catholics and Roman Catholic right. church, lit- liturgically practicing Lutherans and, mm-hmm. y- you know, reformed church bodies and sure. Anglicans and, and things like that, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. But they, they find their echo even down into the non-denoms and the, uh, mm-hmm. the more modern churches too. And, Okay. various ways. The fact that there is something called Advent, yeah. right? <laughs> right. That's true. The fact that you are celebrating Christmas on Christmas day is not because Jesus was born that day. It's because they organized a church calendar way back when Yeah. to lead to that day. You want to be modern. We'll celebrate Christmas on July 13th, <laughs> right? If, if, <laughs> if you really want to be done with all past tradition, you know, just, just make a new day, you know? <laughs> Might as well. So Just even even in those those church bodies that that aren't very what I would say historically rooted in their practice, mm-hmm. fundamentally still see echoes of it come in. Interesting. So yeah, it, what I you could look these up online. Just look up lectionary. Mm-hmm. Church year starts with the first Sunday of Advent, which now is typically kind of rendered as four Sundays before Christmas. Um, others dated to the Feast of St. Andrews, which is November 30th, which is the last calendar day of the church year. Oh, okay. And then just kind of start from there. But in um, the broad generality is that it's December. so By and far. So if you got four weeks in December, sometimes you may have five. I guess sometimes you could even have... No. They'll, they'll always be four. They'll be, yeah. it, it'll always be four before Christmas Day. Yeah. And so the last day, technically, of Advent then... I think most people wouldn't realize is actually Christmas Eve. Yeah, you got it. So that's you actually probably most people, if they do go to church for Christmas, it's actually a Christmas Eve service. There's certainly Christmas Day services that churches do, but I think by far the tradition is going on Christmas Eve. We associate that with, hey, we're going to our Christmas service. But right. what you're really doing is you're actually going to an Advent service. You are. You are. And if you think, and especially for our listeners who love what I would call candlelight services on Christmas Eve, the landscape has changed by and far today, depending on the church that you go to. But isn't it funny that Christmas Eve services, as much as they're about the birth of Christ, still kind of carry with it that longing, yearning, aching, haunted quality when they're done in candlelight settings by and far. I mean, the song Silent Night is not a joyful... (laughs) Song and it shouldn't ever be sung that way. <laughs> I know from experience, <laughs> but it's saying that in the darkness, in my time of yearning and aching, all is calm, mm-hmm. all is bright, is peace in a storm. And mm-hmm. I think that's why it resonates with people so much because we know life. We know that life is a storm. We know that life is a conflict. We know that life is darkness, and that doesn't go away no matter how many Christmas lights you put up. And then the next day, actually begins. Christmas. Christmas and the Christmas season. Yeah, the 12 days of Christmas. Should we talk 12 days of Christmas? We can. I don't. I, what do you want to talk about with the 12 days of Christmas? You want to talk the carol or? Okay, we... interesting bit of trivia. We all probably know the carol, mm-hmm. the 12 days of Christmas. Yeah. What a lot of people don't real. Uh, so there's 12 days in the Christmas season in a liturgical calendar or the way that the, the, 
ancient church or medieval church and, and so forth. And what is that based on? That is that biblical or is that just what the church structure had decided? Hey, here's There's nothing our... biblical about okay. it. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, well, you're always looking biblical. for like numeric illusion. I mean, <laughs> right, ooh, right. twelve. You know, right, that right. rocks exactly. Um, so so never sell that stuff short and try to make bang. But no, it's just kind of how it got structured out. Okay. And then Epiphany, of course, is January 6th. But the carol, the 12 days of Christmas, to my knowledge, each of the days don't have any kind of significance other than what we said earlier, the circumcision holiday (laughs) that comes in. And there's some other minor feast days, but it's not like there's any kind of, to my knowledge, at least, oh, the first day of Christmas is about this. The second Mm -hmm. day is about this. The the reason that carol got developed is is I understand that it was developed in England during the time of the religious persecution there in the 16th century, and it was developed by Catholics mm-hmm. under the Protestant upheaval that was happening. And remember, when the Protestants got in power, there was political persecution on Catholics. And when mm-hmm. the Catholics got in power, there was political persecution back on the Protestants. Oh, yeah. And like Christians have learned from the first century, just because the political powers say something doesn't mean I'm going to renounce my faith. And so the 12 days of Christmas was actually a, um, a covert catechism that Catholics would teach their children. And each of the days had a what? catechetical reminder okay, okay. to it. Seriously? Yeah. All right. So this is what the tradition is, at least. Right. Okay. So first of all, define for us, what does catechism mean? Catechism basically means instruction or teaching. So, so teaching the basics of the Christian faith. All right. So how do we teach our kids... The Christian faith, or in this context, the Catholic faith. Right. How do we teach our kids the faith when the faith is illegal and you can get in trouble with it? <laughs> well, A, the way you teach kids is you sing. That's why we sing the alphabet. Right. Right? Because you remember it and it's fun. Yeah. And you're not just kind of going through dead facts, right? <laughs> right. Two, by coding it. Oh, my god! You can learn the song and no one can kind of like point at you and go, Whoa, what are you teaching? No, wait, we're not teaching. We're just singing a song. So if we go through the song song. and we pick out each of the day, there is something associated catechismically. Yeah. As opposed to be catechismically. That is a great, instead of catechetically. (laughs) I like that better. Let's go catechismically from now on. (laughs) That is fantastic. Uh, I said it. Or cataclysmically. Cataclysmically. All right. So can you walk us through it? You can look this stuff up online, and I'm going to say immediately, depending on the source that you look at, you're going to get different things interpreted in. The partridge in the pear tree is always associated with Jesus, the cross. Why why it's a partridge in a pear tree, I don't know how the coding goes or what they're trying to draw out of these animals. No, but people have written about this stuff, and there's kind of cool little like Like, bits and pieces. I can maybe see a dove in a fig tree. (laughs) <laughs> I guess it doesn't fit the, the dove the, is the Holy Spirit though <laughs> the Holy Spirit didn't die oh man so I, I don't have this right in front of me right. I'm trying to pull this out of like the, the two turtle doves the back thing the back sections of my mind but I've heard things like the two turtle doves referring to like the two testaments the old and the new and, and just kind of like mnemonic triggers the three French hens could refer to like the Trinity. I've seen it other things. The four calling birds are the four gospel writers calling out the message of Christ. The five golden rings are the Pentateuch. And, you know, and they just kind of keep building on it. I'm Six, sure this seven, did a, eight, this nine, is wonderful ten. for kids to learn. Story it's almost harder, you know? It is. I'm like, okay. But here's the thing. You do know the song. 
and you sing the song and you delight in the song. And is it just enough for the song to bring your mind back to things Christian, even if you don't remember the exact correspondence? As long as you remember that and you weren't just taught the song without the symbolism behind it. Right. Right. And that's how it happens today. Yeah. But look, you get everyone singing it and suddenly you're surrounded by the testimony of what God is doing in his creation in this earth, even through the mouths of those who don't know what they're. That's the idea behind this stuff. I've always hated that song, but now Have I you? Want, yeah. Now it's kind of interesting a little bit, isn't it? Now it is kind of interesting because yeah. obviously I just don't like it because it's just so repetitive. Yeah. But again, how do you teach? Well, repetition. Repetition. But I don't want to learn that song. So. Right. Right. And good news for you. You're not going to be persecuted for your faith or for teaching your kids. So <laughs> depends on what I teach them. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I suppose. <laughs> depends on who might persecute me. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. Epiphany, which is January 6th, is the day traditionally ascribed to honoring the wise men, the magi. All right. So, Epiphany. I think a lot of people, including myself, when you first hear that word, you do not associate it with anything religious. You think, oh, I had an epiphany. Right, but that's exactly what the day means. And of course, the day starts a season, just like Christmas Mm -hmm. starts a season called the Christmas season. Right. Epiphany starts a season in the church calendar called the season of Epiphany, which is all about manifestations of God. And that is January 6th? It starts January 6th, and it runs up to Ash Wednesday. So Epiphany is a season. Okay. What's Epiphany? So Epiphany, again, it means manifestation of God. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the lectionary, what it does is focus in and takes intentional time to remember the ways that God reveals himself, that God has revealed himself to people through Christ, of course, being the key at Christmas, but in all the other ways too, that Christ reveals himself. So if you look at the lectionary readings, it's all those Bible stories like burning bushes and, you know, angel appearances and cool, you know, that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, things get layered on each other with tradition and Mm -hmm. none of this is to say that the wise men appeared January 6th. That's just a day to remember them so they don't get forgotten in the annals of history. So the church would historically celebrate the coming of the Magi on January 6th. Like, let's read that story. Let's remember these guys. Let's draw the significance out of what God did there. And uh, that's what that season's about. And And that ends the Christmas season. Right. And we talked about this last episode that we're unsure exactly when the Magi came. Exactly. We we knew, you know, this isn't. Yeah, I think one thing that is, is good to remind folks is you think of your manger scene. Yeah. That probably didn't happen in Bethlehem. You didn't have the sheeps and the goats and the cattle necessarily. And well, the it was a manger. There. It was a barn. So you probably did have well, right. the animal, but, but you didn't have the shepherds and the magi probably the at the same there, time. Right. Yeah. And the angel probably wasn't sitting on top of the barn. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Well, sure, many things could have happened. I mean, the sky could have been orange that day instead of, you know, blue or something, too. But there's no basis to say that it happened. But, yeah, what what a nativity scene is trying to do is condense and compact all these elements of the Christmas story that would have happened at various times into one scene. Yeah. And it makes it memorable. So you remember these guys, you know? Hmm. I have a stupid question. Hmm. What, what What does nativity mean? Uh. Christmas, it, basically. Does it? Okay, I didn't know. Where does that come from? Um, you know, you're, yeah. I, 
it's the, the old name, you know, for Christmas is the nativity of our Lord, the birth, you know, the birthing of our Lord. But, you know, I don't so really know a, the huh. etymology. Yeah, yeah, you're you're catching me um, off yeah, my game I, on this one. That's a that's a quick wiki search. It'll yeah, pop yeah. it right there and you go, oh, yeah, that's what the <laughs> etymology is or what the word came from. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Cool. Let's move on. All right. So what do we got next? We hit Epiphany. We hit Magi. We hit the 12 days. We hit Advent. <laughs> Let's do it in order. We hit Advent. Advent. We hit Christmas. Christmas. We hit Epiphany with the Magi. Epiphany Magi. Then the Epiphany season that takes you to Ash Wednesday. Now that's it's just historic practice. Right. Um, and then of course, within this, there's the liturgical practices of, you know, scripture readings and prayer focuses, foci mm-hmm. and and the things that <laughs> that you know your soul is meant to kind of key into. Yeah. But you know, we're we're tangible creatures. So what what overlays this stuff is all kinds of symbolism and traditions and things that we do and that has just kind of gotten imported yeah. over the years to try to bring more out of it. Mnemonic devices, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. The, the church the church loves its symbolic mnemonic devices, you know, or or symbolic cues. It just drips layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of look at this, smell that, mm-hmm. see this, do this. All of this stuff had meaning once upon a time. You know, sadly today for most people, it's just, well, it's just what you, you do, you, you know. Oh, yeah. And then it becomes totally. sacrosanct in its own right for its own sake and misses the point. Absolutely. There's some great historical hymns, you know, we'd say some carols that we sing yeah. that are deeply rooted in tradition. What are some of your favorites of those? There are some that are obviously more modern. There are yeah. some that really go back and really teach a lot of the history and teach a lot of that great deep theology yeah. that we've, I think, sometimes missed. And I think there's a lot of theology in there that people don't even realize. Or miss. Oh, here's one. Is there any mistaken theology <laughs> in, in a hymn from the past that we sing that you go, yeah, yeah, that's probably just not, yeah. There's a couple of interesting ones, and which way do you want to go with it first? Do you want to go with favorites, or do you want to go with let's let's with, let's like, let's go with the bro- the broken ones? <laughs> That's more interesting. <laughs> That's huh? more interesting. And then we'll no go one into cares the favorites. My favorites are. <laughs> I just want to hear where they screwed up. What's wrong? Well, you know, we'll the classic one is uh, "We Three Kings." The first line: "We Three Kings of Orient are." Right. Matthew two records magi came from the east. Now, <laughs> Orient East, it's not That's inaccurate. Close. It just depends how you define Orient. Mm-hmm. But they weren't kings, and there wasn't necessarily three of them. It nice. was two plus. How do you um, know it's two plus? Because it talks about them in the plural. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Because so, it doesn't say how many there are. It could have been two, but given their position, it's more likely it was a caravan mm-hmm. of them. The reason three comes about is because they three gifts are listed. Gold, incense, or what we call frankincense often, and mm-hmm. myrrh. That doesn't mean... See, it works for a nativity scene when you see each, each magi holding one gift. So, you know, the three right. correspondence kind of mistakenly comes in, but no, it was a, it was a caravan. I'm sure where they had their attendants and their servants right. and, and their guards that would and sense. everything else. And, you know, these were wise men is a decent way of describing magi, but hear the word magician yeah. in it. M a G I it's short for magician. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, they were seers in the professional sense. Um, counselors to king's courts they were advisors and again that means spiritual Mm -hmm. and political advisors because 
of course, if you believe that there's God or gods, the gods and the state should be intertwined because they're all kind of interacting together. And so what they would do is they would read the signs and the omens and try to figure out what the gods are up to in this world and and analyze and organize and catalog right. the events of the world. And it would take a, a lot of studying and a lot of memory and a lot of learning and a lot of language and yeah. all kinds of stuff. And they came. Um, so that's one error. They weren't kings, but they were advisors to kings, you know, nice. professional seers. And uh, Any other you, good ones? You know, one comes out of Okamokami Manual. Okay. Actually. And it's not an error, but I'll just bring it up as something that I've heard struggle over. It's verse two, I believe. Oh, come thou wisdom from on high mm-hmm. and orderest all things mightily. And it mm-hmm. goes on. Which doesn't rhyme in the first place. That's my issue with it. <laughs> <laughs> but the issue that I've seen brought into that is it could give a Gnostic take up. on Christ that isn't intended. First so Corinthians will call Jesus the wisdom of God. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it's wrong, right. but the way that the carol goes is some have felt uncomfortable without it about it because why is that? Well, the same reason that some people feel uncomfortable about like Christmas trees or Yule logs because it was a pagan practice. Okay, they go, "Ooh, is this like feeling too Gnostic?" And are we communicating the wrong thing? Gnosticism was a movement in the early church, and now I'm talking back in the the first century, but especially the second century. So very early. Of the early church and it's really an amalgamation of greek philosophy mm-hmm. with christian thinking okay. but it starts from a greek base a platonic base instead of a hebraic judaic old testament base okay. and it's basically plato's ideas that there's two forms of reality there's there's the the, the material that you see mm-hmm. and then the ideal or or the spiritual right. so to speak and the material is inferior to the spiritual Mm -hmm. and the spiritual is the true thing of which the material is just a poor carbon copy. If we can go back to the seventies or eighties on that, you know, you remember you kind of like you see it, but it's not really clean or exact. And so the real goal becomes escaping the material, denying the material or transcending the material. And it would lead to one of two ways. Hmm. Either one, you deny the material by being an ascetic so you starve yourself, you beat yourself, you don't give in to your pleasures, things mm-hmm. like that. But the other way was the equal and opposite for the same reason. Well, who cares? I'm, I'm, I'm ultimately a spiritual being, right. so who cares what I do with my body? So you're a complete hedonist, right. you know? <laughs> yeah. But what salvation through Christ, there's a lot more we can get into with this. But the fundamental distortion is that salvation through Christ becomes about Christ giving you gnosis, which means knowledge. Mm-hmm. And by having that secret knowledge, you are then brought f- into a place of enlightenment hmm. so you can escape the material right. and start to experience the full essence of your spiritualness now and, of course, the spiritualness to come. And there's just enough elements in this that you could kind of incorporate into the Christian worldview, but it's fundamentally coming right. from a very different worldview and leads to a lot of false distinctions and false ideas in the process. So, so and, what exactly then is the fear of saying, Oh, come thou wisdom. Is that because we're saying, well, a Gnostic could sing that line quite easily. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. And, and so Anastasia couldn't sing the other six verses. Or whatever. Uh, not as easily. Not as easily. <laughs> right. Right. It, yeah, that's, that's, it's something that could come straight out of a Gnostic church or out of a Gnostic <laughs> sect in, in the second sure, century. Sure. And it doesn't mean that what's there is false, but is there a guilt by association? Are we, if people have that worldview, are we feeding the wrong thing into the worldview? Yeah. By not, so those were some struggles with that verse. Wow. Over that's that's time. Deep, deep in the weeds. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That. A little bit, right? Well, I know that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, seven verses, right? Yeah. And, um, yeah. I love hearing when you unpack that because there's a reason, a specific reason for that carol, correct? Yeah, it dates back to the 8th century and it was uh it seems to come out of the monastic communities on the 7 days before Christmas, right? So it's mm-hmm. Advent. They would cry out, ache, yearn in the full tradition of what Advent is supposed to be, and on the 7 days before Christmas they would specifically do it each day by invoking one messianic title. And they developed prayers or antiphons. You know, an antiphon's a kind of a call and response prayer back okay. and forth. Mm-hmm. And the seven carols of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel were built out of, back in ancient times, right? Were yeah. built out of those seven antiphons. And most people probably are familiar with the first one, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel which, of course, right. is a biblical term. Isaiah 7 mm-hmm. paired it again in God Matthew chapter us, 1. Right. Yeah. I wonder how many of the other verses people would actually recognize or even remember. Yeah, Do, right, right. Like like wisdom or dayspring. Dayspring. And dayspring is a tricky one today because the only time you find the word dayspring is if you look in a King James version of the Bible. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> it also sounds like some in type English, of organic in uh, beauty yeah, it does, product. doesn't it? Right. Dayspring. Right. Yeah, it's like a spa that you're going to go to. Oh, well, and then you get things like Root of Jesse. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. When, do I get that in the produce department? Yeah. Key of David. <laughs> I mean, y- you know. Yeah, and they, all of them. But so are there specific reasons for the? Because obviously, there's more than seven titles sure. of the King, sure. of the Messiah, of the Savior in Scripture. Any particular reason why there are those seven? That you why know? these specific seven? Yeah. I don't know. Now, the okay. Emmanuel is kind of a given. It, it, it's kind of just chalked up to you explicitly in the Christmas story. So it's not surprising yeah. that Christians are going to want to take titles mm-hmm. out of the Christmas story. Day spring is another one in Luke chapter one where. Zechariah is talking about the day spring on high that will appear. So oh, in, in some way, right. you can make an argument that elements of those titles find expression in the Christmas story. But I think more specifically, what it's trying to do is take different points of view on who Jesus is and what he came to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, it makes sense. Drawing from different angles. And we won't go through the whole carol. Right. Because, yeah. Right. It's it's long. Very. Okay, how about your favorite? God rest you, merry gentlemen, I think, if you forced me. I mean, and it's, it's a tough call. Hark the Herald Angels Sing is way up there. Um, Which is Do also you hear a- what I hear? Uh, and, I like and Holy Night has some amazingly powerful lines in it. But if you force me to it, it's God rest you, merry gentlemen. Why is that? It's Just- two reasons. One is there is just powerful apocalyptic theology rooted through the song that, that it expresses itself so poetically. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to recite lyrics right now. I'll just encourage the listener to go and look it up. <laughs> but not only is, is the verbiage so powerfully apocalyptic, mm-hmm. the tune and tenor and tone of the song is, is for me, it is so 
laced with anticipation. We are in darkness. We haven't arrived. We are striving, but it's building and you know it's coming and Mm -hmm. you're going to get there and you're being brought there. And and so the music matches the meaning for me and the right frame of mind that I often like to live into, which is, you know, it's the Rocky training scene of the Christmas carols. You're not (laughs) in the fight yet and you're struggling and you're striving and it's beating you down and you're fighting through, but it's coming and the music is firing you and it just, it does, does it the, make sense? It has that heavy lilt to it that bounces yeah, through. Yeah. That yeah, I can see where that that feels anticipatory. Yeah. And then with that apocalyptic layer just cuz oh, cuz yeah. man it's all about apocalypse, right? It's just, you know. <laughs> you and your apocalypse. So, that's that's my favorite. Apocalypse Now is your favorite Christmas movie. But man, movie. you know like maybe verse is it verse 2 out of Hark the Herald Angels Sing, which is, you know, the son of righteousness. I thought it was hail the heaven born Prince of peace, hail yeah. the son S U N of righteousness, which is the Malachi four prophecy, which is arguably my favorite prophecy really in the Bible. So, you know, that, that is a special place. And what is that prophecy? Malachi four. Yeah. Here, let me read it, please. So in Christian layouts, translations of the Bible, this will be the final passage of the old Testament. Malachi four is about six verses long and it's just this really amazing, cool messianic prophecy. Here it is. Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and evildoer will be stubble. And that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord of hosts. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. And you will go out and leap like calves released from the stall. Then you will trample down the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I do these things, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their father, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. That's the whole chapter. Nice. Hark how, uh, <laughs> Hark the Herald Angels Sing was originally titled, titled Hark How All the Welkin Rings. I was actually about to bring that up. <laughs> yeah. Glory to the King of Kings. <laughs> Why don't we say Welkin anymore? We, we really should. It's got to come back into contemporary usage don't you think it does how many people listening to this do you think even know what the word welkin means i don't think we know what the word welkin means <laughs> i always thought he was a, a, a singer from back in lawrence welkin, lawrence welkin. <laughs> yeah did lawrence welkin have like the uh the bouncing little uh no, welkin like dots that go on i stuff? actually did look this up a little while ago welkin is you're googling it aren't you oh i'm totally right yeah, now i totally forgot a, what it means yeah the sky or heaven. That's, yep, that's yep. right. Yep, the heavens. So the heavens are ringing, but it got changed. Why did it get changed? Because no one uses the word welkin anymore. <laughs> it's become meaningless, you know? I'm sure there's a lot of words in, in carols and hymns we use that we yeah. don't use anymore. Yeah. And the only thing keeping the word alive is the carol, you know? <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we can close up shop now. Why don't you close? All right. Thanks, everyone, again for tuning in. Just really appreciate it. Check us out at questions you never thought you could ask in church.com. You can post any questions you have there on anything that's going on, any questions you have about God, life, theology, or the Bible. We want to assure you that we welcome anything coming our way. It could be the questions you've been afraid to ask, the questions you're embarrassed to ask, the questions that you don't feel like have been adequately answered, the questions that are simple, the questions that are complex, the questions that are orthodox, the questions that are heretical. Um, 
go to the site, questions you never thought you could ask in church.com. You can post them all there. Check us out on social media, um, Can't Ask in Church, and uh, you know Facebook and all the rest, you'll find it there. Make sure if you're doing this on a podcast, go to iTunes or whatever it is that you're listening through and rate us on iTunes. We'd love to get some of the, uh, the encouragement and support that way as well. God bless, guys. We hope you have a fantastic new year and uh, a great rest of your Christmas season, and we'll, uh, we'll catch you next time. Hey, everyone. Wanted to let you know that Dave and I are taking a few weeks off for the holidays, but we don't want you to go into detox. So we actually have a Christmas quick fire that we recorded today that'll be posting up next week. Hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next year. Oh, I can't believe I said that. Thank <laughs> you.